This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. And welcome to this special interview episode of It's a Fandom Thing. In this episode, I am very, very excited to talk to Chrissy Talon Sage, who hosts Scripps, this amazing podcast called Madison on the Air. And this is like basically like it's it's a character the character Madison, modern day Madison, is zapped into old-time radio dramas. No technology, no Starbucks, and no one is PC. Will she survive? So that's the tagline for It's a Scripted Comedy Podcast. And so she takes scripts like featuring radio icons like Sherlock Holmes, Johnny Dollar, The Shadow, and more, and then adds a little modern day twist to it. So it's really, really funny, and new episodes premiere the first of every month. So first, I just want to say welcome, Chrissy, and thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Well, thank you for having me. This is great. I love your show. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for saying that. I love yours. It, and it's it's just so different and unique and interesting. And, you, and what was it about old-timey radio <laughs> or, you know, as you would – like radio plays, basically. Right. Uh, what was it about that that intrigued you? Well, it, it, it's kind of funny when you talk to a lot of the people who like old-time radio, or we just call it OTR, uh, that we all have a different origin story of how we came to start listening to it, because it's really a subgenre of entertainment, because it's so very old, it's not readily available. So I started listening about 20-plus years ago. Uh, I'm an insomniac, and I have a hard time falling asleep at night, and I found playing these shows every night, it gave my mind something to focus on because obviously there's no, uh, there's no images. So like TV, having a TV on, I don't fall asleep. My eyes are just like pictures must watch. So when I just get this story in my head, I was able to, to help start to fall asleep. And so I'm falling asleep to, you know, murder and, and things like that <laughs> in these stories, the detective noirs, you know, so I've been listening to that for like 20 years. Then comes COVID. And in 2020, I had a whole bunch of hopeful things about to happen in my life. I'd just gotten my first full agent. I was booked to work a series as a background actor where I'd be working the entire season, which is a really big thing. Uh, and I was actually helping to produce a play, a, lo a local play. And then the world shut down. And I spent the summer, you know, writing scripts and just trying to keep occupied. And I'm like, what can I do that 
can actually have an audience because I hate writing at home and having everything just living on my computer and never being seen by anybody. And I thought, hey, my other friends are sitting at home thinking the same thing. They want something to do. So I have a background in producing. So I went ahead and just kind of made this happen and got all my friends working remotely because everybody records from home. And it's just been, I, I fell into it like, oh my gosh, this is absolutely everything I love about entertainment all in one. So it's been like this perfect mix for me, and I'm loving the whole audio drama podcast world now. Yeah, because it's something that, you know, it's, it's it, to me, the audio drama podcast world is such a, it's different, but it's the same. But it's kind of like, it really is like taking a play, I think, in a lot of respects, and just taking out the visual aspect of it. I don't know if you view it that way, but that's kind of the way, it feel, especially when I was listening to yours, that's the way it felt like I was hearing a play and without seeing it. For Absolutely. And in fact, I'm working on um, another uh, another audio drama now that I first wrote as a TV script, and it's been kind of breaking it down to how do I tell this story and not have to rely on the images that I originally had imagined in as a television script. One of the catchphrases of OTR is theater of the mind. So it's really trying to convey the whole story with, now I do full cast and there are different people that do different ones where maybe it's a narrator or um, kind of more of a storyteller uh, that scores it maybe with music. But I do full cast. So I have a bunch of different actors and I use all the sound effects. I put sound effects in to try to really kind of put your whole body into the story, which I think is a lot of fun for audio drama. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that the sound effects especially was something that really stuck out to me. And also just like the scripts in general, because how do you go about choosing those, especially if you're trying to choose something that you're going to be able to mix? Like, because the character Madison is always interjecting stuff that's very modern day. So how do you choose the scripts that that might work best with? I definitely focus on the dramas. As I've been going along, I've had people recommend different shows to me. And whenever I'm recommended one of the comedies of the era, they don't mesh with Madison. That comedy, that style, uh, she's a little more sarcastic. She's a little uh, bit snarky. So with them kind of more of a clowny-like performance back in the day, like if you think of maybe an early Lucille Ball, uh, My Favorite Husband was her precursor to uh, I Love Lucy, it just doesn't work. So I stick to the dramas, which are one of the ones I prefer, I, I enjoy the most, and I love the noir guys. I think the main thing is not to spoof the genre. Mm -hmm. I am not making fun of the genre. I have all of my actors play it straight. Even Madison, as the kind of fish-out-of-water comical character, is really there and is really experiencing this and goes along for the adventure. So I think that kind of keeps that in mind. And I like to, to mix it up. Uh, I do prefer the noir detectives, but I, I love Gunsmoke. So I did that one early on, a Western that is a really adult Western. Um, there's also the, the superheroes. I mean, Superman came out in the 30s. So that was a lot of fun. And they actually had a crossover with Batman. I mean, how do you not do that? <laughs> That's so much fun. Uh, so it's kind of just trying to mix it up. I, uh, and I do take recommendations. I absolutely, at this point, people are recommending me sometimes a series 
sometimes a very specific episode. I'm like, okay, challenge, let's do it. Uh, my episode of The Saint, uh, which was originally done with Vincent Price, was a recommendation of like, no, do this specific episode. So it, it's it's been a, a lot of fun in that way. I mean, that would make sense putting the drama, because if you were putting the comedy, it would probably clash a little bit with yeah. what you're doing. And it would seem kind of out of place. And plus, having it be where it is a drama, it's so interesting, like having the characters that are playing it straight, having to hear some of the stuff that Madison is saying, and just kind of sometimes they just seem to just blow it off. (laughs) And other times it's like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and kind of react to this. But so I I liked that too. And, um, And I think if you can do both comedy and drama, and so you can kind of lighten the mood, but you're not going so over the top, and there's still like an actual story there, that that helps too, I think. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, And so this is, of course, voice work. And I know uh, you mentioned you've done you've done a lot of background work as well. On is that just on television or on film or? Well, I. I do work as a background actor. I've been doing it for about seven years. It was just a supplemental, like, how do I pay my bills? And um, I'm mostly television. I work through central casting most of the time. They they do the most of the booking out here in L.A., which is heavily television. Uh, there are some other smaller casting agencies that will do movies. So I have been able to work on movies. I haven't made it there yet, but I did work several days on Oppenheimer waiting to see if I flash by on the screen for that one it, it it's it's a it's a lot of work and it's a tough gig uh, i know we're talking uh as far as the strike goes right now mm-hmm. so i i did get my sag card through doing background my reason for it is i really wanted to kind of up my game make myself more available for uh other types of roles and not just rely on non-union so uh background uh, over the course of several years, I finally did qualify and joined. And in it, it's it's a rough rough deal right now. I know the big talk is about AI, with uh, in p- relation to especially background actors. And I have been scanned. I, mm-hmm. I have done that. In fact, the most recent uh, p- thing I worked on is a Netflix limited series that actually shut down because of the the writer strike first. And uh, they they did scan me and I kind of felt like it was this whirlwind of like I was brought into this room and this is what we're doing now. And, you know, I kind of like didn't feel like I even had like a knowledge of what I was being asked to do or why I was being asked for it. I do know some other SAG actors at the time uh, that day were they said, no, I won't do it. And I'm like, but when you're a background actor, especially when you're union, there aren't a lot of union jobs for background. And so you're desperately wanting to please everybody on that production so that they they will bring you back. So if someone says jump, you jump. And so when they shove me in the trailer to scan me, I'm like, okay, okay. Uh, it really wasn't until I thought about it later. And it's certainly now that the conversation has, has gotten 
louder, I realized like, oh my gosh, I could just, they could finish that entire uh, limited series with me and I will never have seen another day on set. And that's a little disturbing, uh, especially because it is the way I pay the bills. It is my, um, one of my jobs. I work several jobs and that is one of the main ones. So that's a little discouraging. And they, one thing they're not talking about, though, with the scanning, when they hire background actors, the deal that is made with SAG for a SAG production is the they're only required to have 25% SAG actors, background actors on a, any particular show. So 75% of the background showing up are non-union, and it's completely legal. That's completely the deal that was made to save production money because non-union make Los Angeles County base minimum wage. So while we're having this discussion, well, I want to know, are we going to fight to keep AI out of background entirely? Or is it going to only affect SAG actors, but now they've got 75% of the people who showed up for work are non-union, don't have to abide by it. Are they going to be scanned and then we're all out of work? I don't know. I'm curious how that's going to play out. Wow. It's the whole thing to me. It's kind of, it's terrifying (laughs) on a lot of levels. And also I think when you do that, when you're scanning someone and when you're using an AI, people may excuse it and say, well, that's the background actors, but you still have to have the background actors are important because I'm sure you have, I have, I'm sure we all have seen movies or television shows where you are distracted because the background actor is like doing something totally out of place (laughs) or like is starstruck. I've seen ones where it looks like they are starstruck. And so if you have that, it immediately takes you out. So even if they can say, well, AI will get rid of that, but you still aren't going to have necessarily the right emotion to everything. And you take out the humanity of it because I, I think people are missing that with that. They're just thinking with background actors that it's quote unquote, not as important. And it's very important. Every aspect of entertainment and what is made and goes into it is important. And so when you take one aspect out and remove the human being, I don't know, I think that just kind of loses a little bit of that. I don't know if you agree with that. but Oh, 100%. I mean, there's a wide spectrum of people who have acting experience who take up background because it doesn't take much to just sign up and, and boom, you know, you have a look, they'll put you in, in background. But I know for people like myself and others like me, we I act the scene. I 100% act the scene. And usually that gets noticed from the uh, second second, who is usually the one who's in charge of us on set. They'll want to feature us because we're actually giving to the scene what they're trying to convey. We're not just a, a blank face passing in the background. And now I've done plenty of scenes where I am buried. We call it deep, deep background. And you just are really a blob in the background. I've tiled. Tiled means they put you in a theater, in a uh, like football stadium, and they just keep moving you around, and they'll plaster it all in ultimately, and you'll never, never, never be seen. But they want the real bodies. They want the bodies to be moving. And I, I maybe for those deep, deep stuff when you can't even really see that it's a person. But there's so much I've done, especially when you're SAG, uh, you get brought in for smaller shoots, smaller days. And you're not like one of 500, which I've done on Ryan Murphy. I've done one of 500, Uh, but I've also done ones where it's just five of us. 
And you cannot have five of us be the, the scanned people, be the, the robots that are just being computer generated later on. We're full on reacting there. And in fact, I did a scene where the actors ended up, the, the costume the girl was in wasn't, it was a mermaid costume and she couldn't stand. So she used me to hold herself up in the scene. How do you do that? If she's just, you know, I'm an AI scanned image. Yeah. Poor girl would have fallen over. It's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They'd probably be like, okay, we're going to use like a, um, you know, some like some stuff that they'd use for green screen or for when right. you don't see the monster there. But that doesn't work. <laughs> they would not have had that. It would, they wouldn't have had yeah. it prepared for the day. No one was expecting that moment, you know. And I'm not saying I understand that background is, uh, you know, we're supposed to be invisible. We're supposed to blend in. We're supposed to just give life to the scene. And I'm not going to pretend like, uh, you know, I'm some equivalent to any of the, the speaking roles on screen. But we are an important element. And I think one of the other things that's been also talked about is when makeup and hair and wardrobe are brought in for us. Uh, for Oppenheimer, I had to go special to the the Universal lot, and I had an entire fitting session where I worked with three costumers. We picked several different outfits for me, because of course it's a period piece. And then those people had to be in charge of the costumes when we were there. The, um, the woman who was doing our hair had done the hair for um, Pirates of the Caribbean, and she gave me a proper 50s updo. I was a secretary. You know, she, that was her job. It was like, well, what if we're not there? All of those people don't have a job. The caterers would only be here for just a small group of people versus everybody who was working that day. There's a lot of a lot of people that will be put out of work, not just background. Yeah, that too, the ripple effect of it that I don't think people get. And, and also with, you know, with writing and the scripts and AI with scripts kind of, Coming back to to uh, Madison on the air, I know that this is voice work, so that of course is a little bit different. But you also have the scripts that you're working with. Do you fear that AI would somehow, in any way, kind of try to infiltrate the world of like audio podcasts or audio dramas or anything like that? Well, I have seen um, some people who aren't good writers and they know they admit it they they that they love podcasting and they love listening to audio dramas so they've started to quote unquote write scripts using ai because they so desperately want to be part of uh that kind of creative process so it's it is bringing people in it's like imagine if you were uh, you know an athlete and someone was able to strap on you know, like robot legs and say, okay, let's race. It's like, well, you won't, I have years of training. I have years of practice. I have years of failure. And it's taken a lot to hone what I do. And for people who are just like, well, this is fun. And I'm going to just throw it into a computer to generate something so that I could play too. And then being more noise on the platform for like less visibility for those of us who are the creatives it it'll just make things muddy i think and and it does again come down to there is a level of understanding how people talk and as much as an ai can try to mimic those things there's a lack of emotion i think that is still lacking there mm -hmm. uh, that i don't think those scripts are going to be as strong ultimately 
at least not without some human pass at them. Yeah, it's that emotion. It's that humanity. It's that empathy. It's, you know, because I've, you know, I've seen some of those where it's like I put, uh, you know, I made an AI, you know, that whole thing, watch such and such hours of romantic comedies or something, and then they generated a script. And while some of the stuff in there can be funny, what's missing is the human element and the emotion and the, um, you know, yes, there are a bunch of, you know, there are nothing really, there's not really necessarily a complete original idea out there. There's just different variations of it. But still, you're not going to get an original variation of something. You're not going to get any original ideas of everything is AI. And once again, the human human element, because I can't imagine with your show, with your radio drama, I cannot imagine if an AI did this, it would just fall apart at the seams, <laughs> I think, <laughs> frankly, because well, how, how could you do that? <laughs> I have been doing some variation of Madison for a good 20 years. I do I do a lot of improv. I'm a Second City Chicago trained. Uh, so she's been with me, in me, living in me for many, many years. And there are a lot of her, a lot of their, her little snide comments or whatever that are based on reality. <laughs> so I'm not... I'm not Madison in any way, shape, or form, but you know, I I draw from real life, and so how does a how does AI do that? Draw from real life. It's drawing from other people's real life that's already been out there and can be sourced, not from their personal life experience. And since a lot of my humor comes from like pop culture jokes or certainly Gen X related jokes, uh, you know, I'm kind of like digging into the back of my brain of remembering these things and, and wanting to present them uh, in the setting of these old time radio shows. Yeah. How does AI do that? I don't think that's not realistic. No, not at all. No. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Um, but I did want to talk about the, the joys and the challenges of doing voice work. So what what are those for you? What are the joys and challenges? Well, my my for it's this point in my life, I don't get a lot of on-camera auditions because my age range is not desirable. So I can play anything I want in voice. I I am definitely not a 20-something Madison and it's that that kind of joy. And I kind of, one of my actors who I use, I use a pretty much a stable of the same actors. And I'll bring in new people, of course, but uh, a lot of the same people who've been with me will do other episodes. And one of the guys is like, I feel like I'm on contract at MGM, where you'll just show up and say, okay, this week you're a monster. This week you're the detective. This week you're the... And it's a lot of fun. And getting that, having that variety and not having to worry about looking the role. Do you sound the role? That's that's the most important thing. Can you sound the role? So I think that's one of the joys for me to be able to step outside of my physical limitations. Challenges <laughs> is I am doing this completely on my own. Um, I am a completely indie podcaster. I am completely self-funded. Uh, 
certainly I have my wonderful husband, Jeremy, who uh, we, we kind of made this possible together because he's also, he's a musician and he kind of already had the setup. He had the software. He had the nice microphone. We just kind of turned our uh, little desk area into a recording studio. So we kind of like, what can we do? We started with what can we do and how can we make this a reality? And I said, I have a background in producing. I used to do web series before <laughs> YouTube existed. I did a web series. Oh, wow. Dating myself. <laughs> um, yeah, MySpace. It was hosted on MySpace. One of the sci-fi uh, conventions with it back in the day. Uh, and I got into grad school with it, so I'm not not uh, a total loss. But uh, it's a lot easier to do voice than worrying about cameras and lighting and sound in the room <laughs> in that case. So this is a little bit easier in that respect. But it does, I do get limitations, you know. Um, I don't have a big budget. I sometimes have to settle for sound effects that I'm sourcing for free online and you know, my husband does all the music, so thankfully all of it, um, we don't have to worry about copyright or anything like that. But, yeah, we definitely are a scrappy little indie indie podcast, so financial limitations can be a challenge. And then there's marketing, of course, of course, you know, trying to get stuff out there, uh, let people know about it is, is a challenge when you have no budget. <laughs> yes, I, I totally understand doing, um, you know, being an indie podcaster myself. It is like, I mean, there are so many podcasts out there. So you're in this huge ocean of content. Yeah. And so trying to make a name for yourself or trying to find yourself out there when you're doing, you know, the marketing, the editing, the, the you know, everything, it's a lot of, it's another, it's a job. It's a full-time job. And I don't think people realize that. They think this is the part, the recording part, and <laughs> that's it. It's like, this is the, this is the fun part. And this is the part that takes the least amount of time. <laughs> yes. I spent my entire day on a six page scene editing today, just dialogue, just editing dialogue. So it's, yeah. Post is grueling, folks. <laughs> It is. It is. That's why it's always been my goal to get to the point where I could be like, okay, I want somebody else to do the editing and all that stuff. I'd like to put that aside. But yeah, so I mean, but there can be rewards in that too, in a way of like an accomplishment. I mean, it's a huge accomplishment. Yes, anyone can do a podcast. But to be able to keep a podcast going takes a lot. It, there's a difference there because anyone can start one. But if you're not going to put in the time and even if, you know, you have episodes that maybe you don't think are as good as the other ones, that kind of stuff, we all have that. Mm -hmm. But I do think that. So I think if you're able to, um, you know, really apply yourself to it, which not everybody is going to be able to do because they're going to start it and go, oh, forget this. I just wanted to have fun. Well, it's true. And, and that is where my production background really comes into play. Because when I started this, I made sure our production schedule had a huge cushion so that when I set myself of a new episode once a month, the first of every month, I wanted to be able to do that because I believe that's part of marketing is to when people expect something, it's there when you promise it's going to be there. So life gets in the way, whether it's my life, whether it's my other actors or whatever. April, I got pneumonia. I oh, wasn't going to go all COVID with that, like, modern respiratory disease. I decided to go old school and get pneumonia. 
three weeks I was down for the count and I couldn't record. And I, for a lot of it, couldn't even do basic, you know, just editing. I was really out. So thankfully, I had built in the huge, huge cushion of time for my turnaround and I did not miss a deadline. And I think that's super important. Anybody out there who's considering starting any kind of podcast, consider what are realistic deadlines you can make and understand that life is going to get in the way. So plan for that. Because yeah, life does get in the way. Sometimes I get busy, like when I was uh, doing background and I got on a show where I was working several days a week. Those are days that I would have been podcasting. So okay, what do I do? And and that's, uh, that's, I think, what will keep you from burning out as well. Not having such a quick turnaround that you feel overwhelmed. And like you said, the fun part goes away and you feel like you're left with all the hard stuff. Uh, spread it out. Spread it out. <laughs> <laughs> I should probably listen to that. But, um, <laughs> but, but I would think with, with, uh, with an with a audio drama that's a little bit different, you definitely want to have yeah. more of a cushion. Than with like uh, like my podcast or something like that because you're not doing like the scripted stuff, right? I mean, I need time to actually write the script, yeah, and then be able to get it out to my actors. I give them a minimum of a three week turnaround because I know they've got lives and I can't pay them right now. So I understand when a paying job comes around that has to take priority. And I've got some amazing actors who are giving their time to me for free. So I want to respect their time and not be like, I need it by Thursday, you know? And so then there's that. And then, then of course, post and I have to do the editing. My husband does the sound engineering, adds the music. It's a long process. It's a long process. And my episodes are minimum 30 minutes because the original um, old time radio shows generally come in about 30 minutes. And then I add Madison and she just talks so much that it ends <laughs> up bumping it a little more. Uh, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I, so I wanted to know about that then because so they, so all the other actors, they're recording separately. So you don't do any of this together. Correct. Wow. See, that's, oh my gosh. Yeah. That must be. So do you have any kind of rehearsals or do you have, you just hear what they, do you react to what they've sent in or do you record too? And then you kind of just edit it I, together. Honestly, that's one of the reasons I keep using the same actors repeatedly is because they're people I trust. They're people who I know are solid actors who can act alone in a room and that also know Madison. They've they've been on enough episodes. They've heard enough episodes. They know what my voice sounds like. So when they're reacting to her, they know what's coming for the most part. I don't do rehearsals mainly because it is just too hard with all the time zones. I've got people, I'm in LA. A lot of my people are in LA, but I have some that are in London. So it's, um, I find it so hard. Los Angeles is terrible. You just, you can never get people together. We did one episode first season of The Shadow. Somebody had a script that the original recording uh, was lost. That happened to a lot of shows. And this particular one, the script still existed, but the recording didn't. And he said, hey, would you guys record it as is? So I said, okay, let's do this as uh, everybody on Discord. We're going to all get together. I minimized the cast down to five of us. And it was, was back and forth. Can you be there? All this kind of crazy stuff for just five people. And we did it. 
But I do find in that kind of recording situation, at least for on my end, my opinion, I don't get to choose the best takes because you're you're kind of doing it live. And when you are live, when you're on stage and you make a flub or something, either the audience isn't going to notice or, you know, they kind of know it's part of the live experience. It's no big deal. But when you've got something that's recorded and it's a flub and it's going to be heard forever with that flub, it doesn't have that kind of, uh, you know, you can't excuse it as easily. So I prefer to do it where everyone records by themselves. They give me two to three takes of their line. And then, yeah, I pay, I go through. And that actually, I, of all the things I, I would like to give away to pay somebody to do to take the load off, not the dialogue editing. I feel like that is also part of building the story, is finding that right response and everything um, not to say, I mean, every now and then uh, one of the actors will be off the mark and I'll just drop a joke or, or a section. But I also give them, I email them a very lengthy description of what, how I see the character, what I'm imagining their relationship is with Madison. I go into like paragraphs of this. Then in the script, I overdo the parentheticals. Generally, when you write a script, you're not going to want to hit the actor too hard with parentheticals because you want them to have their own experience with the with the delivery but since i can't be there to direct them i go ahead and i do like sometimes it's like two sentences long of parentheticals to say this is what i'm thinking in this moment and everyone does a great job of delivering they really do they really do i'm 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 so thrilled at Every time when I sit down, I'm like, oh, okay, okay, what are they going to do? Let's, let's do this. And it's, it's <laughs> exciting when I hear the new delivery and the, and the new stuff. I bet, man, that, wow, that is just really bravo to you for all of that. That's, <laughs> that's, no, that's quite an undertaking to do independently. And yeah, I was wondering that because I know a lot of times with voice work, you're usually not working off of each other. So yeah, and, and I know since you have a background in improv, does that ever come into play with this when you're recording? Like you might have, like, if you hear something else, you might improv something or or later when you're looking. Honestly, it. it is straight script. It is straight from the script. Uh, I, as I'm writing, my process is that I'm acting out all the roles as I'm writing it. My husband gets a kick out of it because he's like, I heard the whole show just coming from you. So I, it, that gives me an idea, like, does this work for dialogue? Can people say this clearly? I'm not, like, giving them a ton of words that are going to be hard for them to get through. And generally, they give it back to me full out, exactly as I wrote it. Occasionally, I'll get a funny line or something extra that they'll throw in. A lot of times, I'll throw that at either. If I don't use it, I'll throw it as the tag at the end of the episode. There's only very few of those, but uh, yeah, it is 100% the script. This is the challenge for me, is that I don't have a proofreader for my scripts. This is 100% me. Uh, I have in the past where I would give drafts to people. Hey, could you read this over? What do you think? But I decided with this show, I wanted it to be, this is Chrissy. Take it or leave it. Hopefully you'll find it funny. Hopefully you'll be, have a great time with it. But um, it is not other people's work it is all 100% me because when I trained when I went to school for producing I was at UCLA and I I studied as a showrunner for television and we would practice being in a writer's room that was some of our exercises and I found I was really good at placating everybody 
making sure everyone in the room got their say, got their one line in, got their, uh, you know, I would take it all in and I would change my work to please everyone so that they would all feel warm and loved. But it watered down my work. Mm -hmm. It wasn't Mm -hmm. my original choice. And maybe they weren't in my head and maybe they weren't understanding what I was trying to convey. But I let it get watered down to make people happy. And I decided for this, not going to do it. Even my husband won't read the scripts. He doesn't like reading scripts. He just, he, he feels like he's not a good script reader. He's a musical theater guy. So he's like, get the dialogue out of the way I want to sing. So he has no interest in my reading my script. So yeah, it's, it's all me. Oh yeah. But you know that there is, there is something to that. Cause I know, um, you know, I, I, I'm a a screenwriter. I've written scripts and I actually like the film school I went to, I started like a screenwriting club and there was something to that where you'd be like, Oh my gosh, I love this. And there is, you know, the saying of kill your favorite, you know, darlings, kill your babies and all that (laughs) kind of stuff, you know, (laughs) right? (laughs) Um, you know, don't be precious about something, but at the same time you can be like, no, I just really feel this is necessary. And if you let everybody else's, opinions and thoughts about it get in the way you might lose some of your joy for it and also just some of the um some of the natural i don't know beauty of the script or where it was going so i do think there is something to be said for not being precious but also there is that thing of also wanting to have that where you are getting your voice across so if you're just finding yourself giving in to everybody else's thoughts about it it really yeah. can take away from the joy of it. So, yeah. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, I was wondering, do you have a favorite episode of the ones you've done? <laughs> I know it's probably hard to choose, but. <laughs> you know, there's, there are so many for different reasons. I certainly, my favorite of the OTR that I listen to is uh, Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, which I saved for our one-year anniversary show because, so Johnny Dollar, quick history, it it was a good two decades of that show being on the air with about seven or eight different Johnny Dollars throughout its uh, lifetime. But when it reached towards the end, there was the actor Bob Bailey, who Pretty much if you talk to old TR fans, when they, you ask who's your favorite Johnny Dollar, it's like, well, Bob Bailey, duh. I mean, he was fantastic. <laughs> he was so charming about the role. And at that time, they t- they wanted to try something different. And they took it from being a half-hour uh, detective noir to being a serial, which you mostly saw in the children's shows of that time. So they broke it down into 15-minute episodes that would start on Monday and play every single day of the week and end on Friday. So you'd have that story arc over the five days, which right now, a lot of audio drama works that way. They are like short episodes. They're 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes long, and they have a season story arc. But I was raised in the sitcom world where everything's like half hour and it's done. So 
that was a lot of material, 15 minutes for five days, but I was determined to do it. This show ended up being an hour 20 versus our usual 30, 40 minutes. Uh, but it was such a joy. And my actor, David Pinion, uh, who's one of my favorites, who's been with me since season one, he did a fantastic uh, homage to our Bob Bailey. And I never asked my actors to do impersonations of the original actors. I will send them a link to the original show to get the tone because there are ones that are kid shows. So they're a little more to 11. And then there's the ones that are a little more gritty. I've been working on a Jeff Regan in um, Private Investigator. He was the original um, uh, Jack Webb who went on to do Dragnet. And it is very gritty in comparison to what Dragnet would become. So there's a lot of different uh, tones to get, um, which I think helps with my TV background because I like to write for different tones. So I'm kind of trained to write for the voice of the show that already exists. Uh, but I think Johnny Dollar was definitely the challenge. And I'm very proud of that. But we also, oh my gosh, last Christmas we did a Batman and Robin and Wonder Woman double header, and it was ridiculous! It was so silly and so much fun. It was actually, came out in the 70s, but they were using 1940s comics to write their story, so I felt like that qualified. Uh, and, you know, Wonder Woman's fighting Nazis. How can you not have a lot of fun with that? <laughs> So we got some yeah. crazy, crazy German, bad German accents. Um, it's, well, I don't know. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I knew that would probably be a hard question to answer, but I, I loved, I loved those. Yeah. So, do you have then a dream one that you want to do, like one that you haven't even attempted yet? Well, you know, I finally did only here in April, uh, the Lone Ranger. That was one from the beginning I knew was going to need to be handled with kid gloves because of Tonto. And I wanted to be, because a lot of what it is, is Madison is commenting on how on PC the world was back then. And Tonto resonates all the way up to the Johnny Depp movie with, um, you know, how are we handling this Native American character? So it really was something that had been in the works in my mind for a good two years before I finally kind of found what I wanted to do with it. So that was a big challenge. And I think I, I, I'm very proud of what we did. Basically, Madison shows up into this old West town to try to save Tonto from the Lone Ranger and break him from his Native American stereotype, but finds out that Tonto's actually happy there because the Lone Ranger is his good friend, no matter what. They are devoted to each other. And if you look under the surface and have to go past all of the grunting sounds and whatnot, and which, of course, we comment on, you realize that it's a, this is a story of friendship. And the show started in the 30s. George Trendle created it, who also did The Green Hornet with Cato. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's rough. It's rough to listen to in modern day, but uh, you kind of understand that that was the best they could do at the time. I'm not apologizing for them or saying it's okay, but they felt like they were doing something good for people of color, <laughs> I guess. Um, so it's good to look at it through a lens of modern day, but not dismiss it. Look at the layers. Look at what it is. Look at why the Lone Ranger has lasted so long and has still been beloved for so long. So that was definitely a challenge. I don't know. Going forward, I, I still have so many noir detectives I haven't even done yet. 
And then there are movies. There are plenty of movies. Like we did The Wizard of Oz. Uh, that was done, pared down as a one-hour uh, show that Judy Garland did when she was 28. And um, so there are different ones like that that I'd like to look into and see what we can maybe pull off. Uh, we did War of the Worlds last year, which was a big deal. Everyone was pushing for War of the Worlds. Uh, so I tried to do it with a different take on it while still paying an homage to it. It was specifically the Orson Welles Mercury Theater version. So we'll see. <laughs> I'm always up for suggestions, everyone. Always up for suggestions. What's your favorite show? It might not be a show I've even heard of yet. A lot of these I've never heard of, and I get into them. When I start writing it, I just binge, and I binge, and I just listen to that show every single night uh, to try to get into those voices. So I'm open for suggestions. Yes, and there will be a link in the show notes to the website. So definitely go there and give a follow and um, you know, and, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform too, but go there. If you have any suggestions, definitely send them along. And I'm wondering, so then when you're talking about that, when you're binging a lot of the episodes and then you also, at the end of the episodes, you'll like have some facts that you pepper in there too. Mm -hmm. So what is, how much research then goes into each one of the scripts before you even start writing the script? How much research goes into it? Well, it depends on the show. Um, like, if it's a show I know really well, I like Gunsmoke has over something like 250, 300 episodes, and I'd already binged them twice through. So I was comfortable <laughs> with my knowledge on the Gunsmoke. But other ones that have been recommended to me, I, I don't know. So I just start and I listen to them. And then I, I Wikipedia... I, there are a lot of old-time radio resources out there that people have just written about the shows, and I, I'm a crazy fan of history, and I can easily go down rabbit holes, and I just start clinking in all the links of, oh, tell me more about that actor, oh, tell me more about that show, and I, I just absorb it all, and then when I talk about it, I try to hit the relevant things that I find interesting uh, that might be worth sharing with everyone, but yeah, I really immerse myself in it. I think uh, um, Dr. Kildare, the story of Dr. Kildare was a first one where it had been recommended to me and I'd never heard it before. I know it, would let it later went on to be a television series, but it was originally done with Lionel Barrymore as a, um, as a radio drama coming off of a series of movies from the 30s. I've never seen any of these things. I, and I just started listening. And I just listened and listened and listened. And when I choose an episode, I kind of try to imagine where could Madison fit in this? Is she going to replace somebody? Is she going to be a hanger on? Is she going to uh, be another new character that I'm creating? And then I actually do the transcripts myself. So I'm really living in the words. I am li literally word by word by word. Uh, I listen and I speak it into talk to text and then bring it into my screenwriting uh, program. So I am really, by the time an episode gets given to the cast, yeah, I have been in that world for a long time. Uh, and hopefully it shows. I, I think it shows the love I have for this genre. Like I said, it's not a spoof. I really want to show how wonderful the, this entertainment is, uh, even though it is old and there are some cringeworthy things. I mean, Madison being a woman gets to hit a lot on the sexism. Uh, we have a new episode coming out uh, April, f I mean, April, listen to me, August 1st, 
that is so much misogyny. It's And it's a kid show. It's a kid show. And this was uh, like, women are so dumb, aren't they, kids? And, uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. So I get to play with that a lot. But I will say this, of the, of the genre, in the 30s, going into the early 50s, especially before television was a thing, and when people could start to afford to own radios, but maybe couldn't afford to see a movie all the time, there was radio dramas. And these, this drew the best actors, the best writers, the best directors of that era. So it's not just cheesy, goofy stuff. It's a lot of the spoofs, I think, have stayed in our consciousness that this kind of entertainment is just really cheesy. And if you really listen to the noir detectives or any of the dramas, the, the horror ones, the suspense ones, that is some serious stuff that rivals anything that we're producing today. Hmm. It, it just might have some sensitivities to non-PC related subjects. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that can that can be that can be a difficulty sometimes even watching stuff back from even like the early 2000s. There's even stuff where I'm like, oh, my gosh, and 80s and stuff that that grew up with, you know, watching and stuff. Uh, and then I want to know that because you mentioned before we started recording that there's a huge fandom around OTR. <laughs> <laughs> so. Is do they have like is there like an online fandom or do they have like do they ever have like conventions or how does that fandom work? If there is a convention, somebody needs to tell me about it because I have not been. Um, but no, you know that was what was what was, I guess, rewarding for me here at the beginning when I started producing Madison and getting it out there, is learning I wasn't uh, alone on a desert island <laughs> where like there were actually others out there. Um, uh, a lot of the people I've met have been through Facebook uh Facebook groups. Facebook fan pages. And there is a subreddit for OTR. Um, there are definitely people who are putting out, they will, they won't change an episode. Like I totally adapt the, the scripts, but they will put out the episode maybe with their commentary at the beginning and give you a little backstory on stuff. So there are, if you look in the podcast world, do you look for OTR or old time radio? There are people who are putting out the full regular episodes. Uh, there are plenty of people who perform them, who are doing their own new versions. Like They just take the script and do it straight. Um, one of my friends used to do that on stage. Now, he would kind of put a comic twist to it, but he, yeah, they would perform it on stage. And I know a lot of small groups will do that and they'll dress in the whole noir outfits and their little fedoras and, you know, so forth. So it's been great connecting with people like that. And that's why I say, well, I get like fans are telling me about shows that I just haven't run into yet that they have beloved for years. Um, so, and like I said, we all have our different kind of, how did you find out about this? Because it isn't mainstream. And for me, it was CBS radio news would play a block of them at like eight o'clock at night. This is a good 20 plus years ago. And that happened to be when I would walk my dog. So pop the headphones on, get my little yours truly Johnny Dollar, and I was hooked. And now there are lots of places to to access it. I listen on archive.org. Uh, that's where most of mine, um, most people have uploaded a full, the full shows is for whatever is remaining. 
uh, in existence. And you can just listen one after the other. I've got so many bookmarked. I've got like 30-something shows that I just bounce around to <laughs> my favorite ones. So we're out there. And hello to everyone who's out there and who loves this genre. I love it too. <laughs> no, that's uh, it's so cool to find new fandom stuff that people are fans of. Because I think sometimes, and also if anyone's out there and was like, I've been a fan of this, didn't know there was actually a huge fandom. Now you know. And I love that because then people can find their joy in in something and finding your joy in a piece of pop culture and in no matter what it is, as long as it's not hurting anyone, of course, is such a great thing to find because I think that's how you find your own community. You find friends. That's how I found all my friends. I wouldn't have my podcast without that. <laughs> right? So yeah, so it's it, that's, that's awesome because I really didn't know. And I, I think the only time... I can remember listening to this is when I was really, I was like maybe in middle school or something like that. And there was, there was a radio station that they were doing like nonstop, like celebration of like the sixties or something. And then they did this whole, and I had it on tape too. And that's long gone. And it was like a whole, it was a audio drama and I, it was some detective. I wish I could remember what it was because of what, what you're talking about. Cause I'm sure it was one of the ones that you have done or heard of but so that's it's interesting to me that it still is around and has such an impact and they are fun to listen to so so great great job seriously great job to you and all of your actors uh that's why it's so amazing to me that none of you are in the same room together because it's so natural and so you do such a great job with editing and putting it together where it never feels like that doesn't make sense there. <laughs> so, yeah. So good job. Seriously, Thank congratulations. You. I think Thank it's you. great. It's awesome that you did that. So then lastly, what I want to know, and this is my favorite question to ask everybody, <laughs> and I know it's it's a, it can be a hard one, but through doing this, what have you learned about yourself as an artist and as a person as much as you're willing to share? I think uh, this is really kind of where my life has been leading with all of the crazy background I have. I I had a job interview once a few years back where they looked at my resume and she was trying to be polite, but she says, you have a very eclectic background. I did not get that job. <laughs> Apparently, the eclectic was not a good thing for her, but it actually is a good thing because I come from, I started in Hollywood uh, working um, in writers' rooms as an assistant on television sitcoms. I have worked as PAs. I've worked as agents' assistants. I've worked in casting. I, you know, a background actor. I've been on sets. And then I went back to school and I've learned. Um, I did social media marketing for years uh, professionally, and it kind of was like everything was leading to this is the perfect place for me to be. And to finally have that ownership, to finally believe, like, I can do something and I can do it well. And everything that I have been is not an obstacle to where I am but right now, but it's actually been an asset. And, I, and, and it's a self-esteem thing. As an artist, we have very low self-esteem. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and to be able to be like, no, darn it. I, I believe in myself. I believe in what I'm doing. So I said, this is, this is my work. I hope you like it. I hope you find joy in it. I hope it makes you laugh. It's me. It's raw, raw me. 
And I have learned that it's a safe place to put that out there. And it's okay. And if people don't like it, my very first review said he would like to take a two by four to Madison and beat her senseless <gasps> to uh, to uh, fix the situation. Okay. Oh my gosh! Abuse towards women! Yay! Sounds great. <laughs> Thanks. Wow. Um. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. I don't need you. If I end up only being a niche show. I'm getting a lot of practice with my joke writing. I'm getting a lot of practice being on mic. I'm getting a lot of, and I'm meeting a lot of amazing people. I'm doing voices for other shows as well. So I, I hopefully this is a continuing a path just to, that keeps going forward in this medium. I'm in love with it. I, I love that. And I'm sorry you got that review, but <laughs> I, I, I think really people love to, leave those kind of reviews they find it's people it's easier for people to take the time to complain and to put something down than it is to take the time and compliment it so well if it was constructive uh, criticism fine but but i want to beat her with a two by four end of sentence it was like well hopefully other people reading it are like okay buddy and it it didn't affect them wanting to listen (laughs) yeah i mean what's the what's the point of that but but putting that that aside i I love that you're saying, you you know, the whole thing of like finding that your experience, the different things you have done, the eclectic, uh, which is a good thing, I think, but the huge variety as an asset and leading you to this. And that that's, I think, so much more powerful than if you were to say, oh, man, if only this had been when I was like, you know, 20 or something like that. Because I think we can do that to ourselves as mm. creative people is you, you kind of feel like you have a limit on when you're allowed to pursue your creative dreams and your passions and there's not a limit. And yes, there might be limits that other institutions try to put on you, but there's not a limit to trying to at least, in my opinion, pursue your dreams no matter how that looks. So really, that's great. I love that. I love that. And I love that you said that because I think that's very, very true. And you can get to that point where it's just like, you know what? No one else is going to do this for me. So I'm going to do this for me. And this is my passion. And I'm not going to use my past experience as going, oh, regret, regret, or wish I'd focus on one thing or something like that, but more as an asset. So Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It was such a joy talking with you and congratulations on your show. And I will be putting the link to Madison on the Air to the website in the show notes. But Chrissy, if you want to tell everybody where they can find you on social media as well. Sure. Uh, So we are on Facebook, Twitter slash X, uh, whatever, Uh, (laughs) Instagram, and uh, even Mastodon. I went over there when everyone did our first bailing from <laughs> Twitter. Uh, it's all, every single one, at Madison on the Air. At Madison on the Air. And I do have a website, madisonontheair.com. And then I'm on every podcast platform I can find. So wherever you're listening, I'm sure I'm there, including YouTube. I do put it up on YouTube. Uh, so if uh, if you're maybe not interested in a plat- podcast space, you can listen to it through YouTube. So we're everywhere. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And really, I do encourage people to check it out. It's a lot of fun and it's a totally 
new medium for me. And that's what I really enjoyed too was and and I love noir period. <laughs> so listening to that with uh, the Madison character was really, really entertaining. So I did just put together a pod chaser playlist. We've done 17 noirs now. So if you really like the noir and want to hit straight to to that, I've got that for you. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Chrissy. Thank you so much. Thank you again to Chrissy for sitting down and talking with me. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. And everyone listening, please be sure to click on the link in our show notes and check out Madison on the Air. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod on Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one on Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod on TikTok at it's a fandom thing pod. If you have any feedback show notes, if you'd like to be a potential interview guest on the show and remember, we do have that open mic invitation to anybody in SAG-AFTRA or WGA that would like to discuss the strike with us. Please feel free to reach out to us via our website. It's a fandomthingpod.com. Click the contact us button there. That'll shoot me an email and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. And I do want to let you know, next week we will be back to regular scheduled programming with the return of our Wednesday pop culture and fandom news episodes. And next Friday, Tiff is joining me to discuss the seminal classic album, What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. So I'm really looking forward to that conversation. And for the rest of August, we will be discussing music. So we're going to also be discussing Rage Against the Machine and Alanis Morissette. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.